1: Good morning, Good morning, Scott, Don. Morning, Gary. on this on this beautiful long weekend. I mean, you know, do we want to get too serious here? But you know, gentlemen, there's been chatter, and we hear this every couple of years, it seems, about a U.S. debt ceiling. What does that mean? Why does it seem like it's a crisis until it's not?
2: Yes, it always seems to be a bit of an in- feud in between the you know the Democrats and the Republicans. Who has the House gets to, I guess, vote on this debt ceiling, and basically they want to print more money. And they want to create more debt and they have to pay for a lot of things, including federal employees and in national parks and things like that. So last time they let it ride, they actually closed some national parks and then they got to worry about you know, graffiti, etc. Um, so it's basically they don't have enough money then and then they eventually resolve the issues. And everything goes back as usual. Now, it does have some ripples in the stock market, and you'll see the ups and downs of the stock market based on this. They're hoping it is happening this weekend, that they will resolve it this weekend. And, uh, you know, who's to say? Usually, the Democrats in this case may have to make some concessions. But at the end of the day, with the ups and downs of the stock market, it may make some changes in the mentality of the investor and should i do something about it or should i just leave it alone and in fact i had a, a client send me an email regarding this this uh, past week and you know this is all comes back down to what is your mental game with investing because it has a, a huge impact on how your well, what what ends up being your results in terms of returns and oh gary that's uh, what exactly what you're going to be talking about today yeah yeah thanks
3: don I mean, I mean the thing is what you know how we feel and what we think about where we allow our minds to go really impacts the you know the decisions that we make the actions that we uh, you know we follow through on and so on and and our beliefs all of that so you know i'll ask you both and and you know with, without naming anybody of course but do you know people who no matter what logic you apply no matter when you're discussing something uh people are absolute in their beliefs about a particular issue and there is there is no swaying them no matter what Sure, that's my friend Bob. Oh, Okay, sorry. okay. all right. Well, <laughs> which ro- which the... relative should I? Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Bob, and and Don's mysterious relative are are both in really good company because because there's you know there's an awful lot of people who 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 experience that type of of mindset. So you know what I wanted to look at was just how cognitive biases affect the investment decisions that that we make. Or that we can make. So, you know, we have for, for, for many years, we've seen, uh, how cognitive biases can affect people's decision making when it comes to their overall financial planning choices and actions. Don, we, we see that time and time again. People come to the table with very firm opinions and beliefs about different things. And sometimes, sometimes they're, they're extremely valid. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's no there's no substance or no grounds to, uh, you know, to to the way people feel about certain things. So let's first look at a couple of definitions of what a cognitive bias is technically. So a cognitive bias, um, and this is uh, this is we'll start with Google, of course. So a, a cognitive bias is a systematic thought process caused by the tendency of the human brain to simply, or simplify, I should say, information processing through a filter of, and this is important, personal experience and personal preferences. And this filtering process is a coping mechanism that enables the brain to set priorities and process large amounts of information fairly quickly. Um, another another quick description is it's a type of error in thinking that occurs when people allow their judgments to be influenced by their own personal preferences etc wikipedia says it's a systematic pattern of deviation from from norms or rationality in judgment in, individuals create their own subjective reality from the from their perception of whatever the the issues are that they're dealing with and then lastly uh the construction of an individual's reality, as opposed to objective input, can dictate one's behavior. So, cognitive bi- cognitive biases really are are it's a real thing, and we all, to some degree, experience um, effects of 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 those biases that that we might have. So, you know, many of our life decisions are are directly linked to our emotions and sometimes sometimes we regret our decisions or choices because we at the time we might have fallen prey to our own behavioral biases and we don't consider other factors. And it can also happen when making when we're making our investment decisions. And part of our responsibilities, uh of course Don, you and I are well aware of this, part of our responsibility with our clients is to assist with their understanding and avoiding Behavioral biases in their own their own investment decision making,
2: and and a lot of these biases we we've started right from scratch and often they're inherited from one ger- generation to the next to the next to the next. So it's uh we don't we're not born with these biases. These are right. learned behaviors, and they may be with kids, with relatives, with parents, etc. And you know quite often you know like you said some are very valid, and or maybe they're only valid in some some certain circumstances. But at the end of the day there is a bias to them. And this yeah. is the trick when it comes to investing. Yeah, and so you know, a good point. And and biases change too
3: over time. Again, uh, subject to whatever exposure people are experiencing. So so let's examine a few of these these potential biases in terms of of different types. So there's, and in no particular order. So there's a there's a bias called confirmation bias. So it's the tendency to uh, to cherry pick information that confirms what you actually believe to be the case, any idea, uh, or belief, uh, it's already, it's already predetermined that you're going to feel that way. And that's how you're going to react to a certain situation. So an example of that, uh, from an investment standpoint, uh, would be, um, people who are exposed to the exact same information. So let's even look at, at spouses. So we're having a conversation, they're, they're receiving the exact same information or data, whatever the case may be, but they have opposing views. They have opposing views about about various aspects of that information. They both come away feeling validated because they have cherry picked from that information the things that that favor their own belief, right, Don? And we've we've, uh, we've we've seen those kinds of things.
2: Absolutely, and this is where Google has been fantastic for these biases because you can literally type in your bias and you'll find all these affirmations of why you're right. Right. And the some the exact opposing view will type in their view and so all the reasons why they're right. And uh, yeah. at the end of the day, only one of you are right. <laughs> right.
3: And so so you know, with that type of bias, people take away what they want. They take away what they they've already predetermined to, to be the case. And um, you know, I think when we run into that type of situation it's it's important obviously to listen to both people's points of view but it's our responsibility to reason out why they might think the way they do and offer offer some some other solutions now a second a second major bias uh is is called an anchoring bias and that's a that's a really interesting one because it refers to how our decision making is influenced by a specific uh, a specific reference point or anchor, uh, one that that has been established, and it, Don, you you alluded to that in, in your example. So, um, so basically, in a in a behavioral investment sense, anchoring is is the uh, subconscious use of irrelevant information, basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a, f- a fixed reference point to something that we've we've seen or experienced before. Uh, a classic example from an investment standpoint would be uh, the Nortel situation just over 20 years ago. Um, so Nortel, of course, got caught up in the, in the tech, as many investors did, got caught up in the tech bubble uh, situation. Uh, Nortel's price soared almost out of control. Uh, peaking in the summer of 2000, and I'm sure some of our lis- listeners may have been involved in that, that situation at the time. And, and shortly after that, the share price dropped and continued to drop until the company eventually filed for bankruptcy. But with each drop, and this has been documented, with each drop in share price, the trading volume spiked. And the trading volume volume spiked because people had anchored that previously higher
2: price as right. a benchmark even though it had no real value at that price even it though all, it had no real value and and our our managers at the time called that froth it was just yeah. going up it yeah. was simply people throwing money into a stock that wasn't worth that and it and it, you know supply and demand of a stock so yes yeah. absolutely
3: and there's all you know there's all kinds of other other examples of anchoring uh, you know parents parents biases when you're when you're growing up uh, parents, you know, philosophy, we all have our own philosophy about what makes sense with money and so on, whether we're accurate or we're not. And and we pass that along. You know, another classic example, and not so much today, obviously, that has greatly changed, but for years, um, paying off your mortgage, we were we were sort of brainwashed that paying off your mortgage as quickly as you could was the only way to go, even though that was done at the expense of your other financial goals. Whether it was saving for retirement, whether it was for putting money away for children's education, et cetera. But that belief from generation to generation about you got to pay off your mortgage first before you do anything else. And Don, you remember all the, uh, the, the software we would use to show the difference between aggressively paying off your mortgage at the expense of other things versus a more, a
2: more uh, balanced approach to things. It- Absolutely. And there's a lot of emotion attached to paying off your mortgage because this has been, again, taught to quite for a lot of people right since they were at the kitchen table with their parents. And now it's like, no, no, I, Gary, you can't be right. My parents have told me this all my life. Right. So it's hard to take that bias away.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's it's really aptly termed because it, it does anchor people mm-hmm. uh, to to stay on the same path that they've been on. I
1: remember very, very vividly being at home with my parents. And I was probably a teenager at the time, uh, maybe 19, 18, somewhere in there. And my dad, it, it, very delighted and opening a letter and saying to my mom, we've finally paid for the house. And I remember asking my father what the payment was. And I can't remember what it was, but it was very, very small because it was right. a different time. Yes. And my reaction was, wow, what are you going to do with all that money now? Mm-hmm. and it was like i took a knife and stabbed him in the heart because <laughs> it was just a totally different way of thinking and i right. i didn't know anything about finance at the time but yeah i remember very vividly that was such a big moment when they did that
3: yeah yeah and that's you know it's it's so hard to change that type of thinking but we do it all the time don right we mm-hmm. we try and help people look through a different lens to to uh, accomplish the goals that they have in ways that that are new and when things are new sometimes they're not easily adapted to
2: and at the end of the day this is where a a, a real good financial planner a holistic financial planner can kind of go through all these biases to give you a great direction on how to how to um, end up with your financial goals in in the most effective way. Mm -hmm. You know there's there's an old saying really quickly that I that I've always
3: attached myself to because it makes so much sense and it's uh you know if you change the way you look at things the things you look at change. Right, Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect example of what we're talking about.
1: Well said. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at DonFox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a break here. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at nine zero five. 972-7420. Nine seven two seven four two zero. All right, we're going to talk about overcoming
2: financial fatigue. What is this all about? Well, yeah, financial decision fatigue because there's so many decisions we make financially, and you know, Gary is just going through the um, the biases we have and the anchoring, and another one would be the recency bias when you see something that has gone up lately, oh i better jump on that. That's another financial decision. Oh, it's gone down this week, i better get out of this. And this is also start part of you know, most of the listeners by now if you've happened to watch any tv, there is a onslaught of gambling commercials now. And tell me that doesn't use those biases also. And mm. unfortunately to the detriment of gambling and saying okay, well can't these, this team can't lose three games in a row. Oh, wow. Yes, the Leafs can, actually. And so, <laughs> <laughs> I've often
1: said they should have their own gambling website, sort of a different <laughs> one from everyone else.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's uh, for those Leaf fans out there. Yes, another, but lay you made it to the second round, so it's a better deal. But at the end of the day, it's all about these decisions. And funny enough, I came across uh, uh, an article in, um, in Money Magazine, and it was really about this whole idea of how many decisions do people make and according to this they they suggest there's 35,000 financial decisions per day now I find that a little extreme but just think about it as soon as you wake up what what are you having for breakfast well what did you you know decide did you buy eggs did you buy organic eggs versus non-organic eggs did you get milk how, you know all the different things that add layers to your costs, and it's actually quite interesting. If you look at every decision you make, there's a dollar sign attached. Um, where are you going to get gas? Which type of gas are you going to get? I know it says that you need to put in the better gas or the higher octane gas, but can it go with the mid gas and save myself a few bucks? Um, I'm going to stop at Tim Hortons, get a coffee or I could make coffee. You know, these are all things and so many buying lunch, making your lunch, they all add up. In fact, we've done, I call it the cappuccino effect way back where they actually took the dollars and and used it towards, uh, okay, I'm going to just make my own coffee versus I'm going to stop at Starbucks or Tim Hortons or one of the coffee chains. And how much money that can add up. It's almost like the new smoking in a way, where we used to do the same thing with smokers way back, Gary. And I'm sure uh, you remember the day, you know, go back to when we started, smoking was in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and everywhere else, and yeah. everywhere else, <laughs> and, yeah. And this was just, and you start adding up those costs. I have no idea what a pack of cigarettes are go for now, um, but at the end of the day, it's a lot of money. And in the repetitive of this So whether it's cigarettes, whether it's what you're having for breakfast, whether it's you're bagging lunch or, or going out for lunch, or whether it's simply stopping off and getting a coffee, they all add up and can literally change whether you're financially independent or not. Not because of one of those. It's because of the whole attitude about all of these. So the idea is there's a lot of fatigue resulting because sometimes people just throw their arms up and say, you know what? I'm not going to think about it. Let the duck, you know, let them just land where they will and things will be okay. Don, don't you think that that debit cards have have dramatically really created a, a greater sense of what you're talking about? Oh, 100%. And not to mention the debit card fees. And there's another one. Shall I use a debit card? Shall I have cash? Because they don't even see the money coming. It doesn't feel right. like real money. Yes. And so, so here's it's another. Just the, so it's just
1: the convenience of it just all. The tap. Just the You're not pulling the cash out of your pocket. Yeah. seeing right. how much you're handing over. Exactly.
2: Yeah. It's just a number. And, you know, some people are better with numbers than others. But I remember asking somebody years ago, and they are saying, you know, I, I usually like to go to mine actual bank because they don't want to pay those charges but rather than a different bank where I had to pay the charges at the time and uh, she said well you know I just go wherever she says what are your bank fees then and she said they were somewhere about $40 a month just for using that card just for the privilege of taking your own money out from a different institution not to mention all the things you spend it on so again there's another decision so what ends up happening 22% of people start to ignore the financial stresses because it just it just adds up. It's just another stress. you got so many things in your life where there's looking after the kids, picking them up for rep hockey or, or whatever it is. There's just another layer. So they just finally say, that's it. I'm out. I'm just going to do whatever. And that's not the attitude. It can be extremely costly. So one, one way to avoid some of this is uh, automate your bill payments. So right away, now you've automated this. So, you don't have to worry about, oh, I have to make my bill payment um, for my credit card, for example, because the cost of missing that is the interest on that credit card at, call it somewhere between 20 and 30% for the time you, from the date you purchased it. It isn't because you're one day late, they go right back to the day of purchase. So, therefore, you end up paying all this interest on these assets. And so, here's a great way to automate, in fact, automate lots of things if you can. The more you automate these things, the easier it is and less stress you will have. So, uh, another idea is just earn some interest if you have some money. So at the end of the day, if you say, Oh, you know what? I've got a big expense. I'm going to buy a car. I like to put a lump sum on my mortgage. Um, you know, at the next renewal date, as an example, and let's say you had a hundred thousand dollars. Well, a hundred thousand dollars, our cash account right now at IG is paying 4.25%. Well, that works out to $354 a month of extra income you could produce. Well, that could be in a a TFSA if you haven't maxed out. So, this could be tax-free income if, you know, you and your spouse haven't maxed that out. Um, But it's kind of interesting. When you don't make the money, people don't really take it that seriously. Oh, I got some extra money in my mind. I know they're paying, they were not paying me anything. But it's $354 a month on this 100 grand. What if they were charged three hundred and fifty-four dollars instead? All of a sudden you got a bill for three hundred and fifty-four dollars by not putting your money into your bank into an investment for the month, then it'd be a different story. Or a speeding ticket on your windshield for three hundred and fifty dollars every single month. Then you'd think twice about this. You know, opportunity
3: cost is is so often overlooked to your point. You know, that three hundred and fifty dollars that opportunity is is ignored
2: in, in in that example. And it happens. It happens all the time. It's very frequent. In fact, I had a conversation just this week of the exact same situation of people. And probably the best case scenario of this happening, or in my, I would actually say the worst case scenario, is people with um, business accounts. Because they accumulate a lot of money in the business, it's incorporated, and they're earning zero. Mm-hmm. And yet you could have a... A secondary business account earning four and a quarter percent. So, the individual I was seeing, I, I spoke to, had $170,000 in their business account. They don't need it all. It's just kind of accumulated. They got to pay their own salaries and things with it, but they probably could invest that. And if they did, it worked out to a little over $700, uh, $8,000 a year in, earn, in interest, opportunity costs, like as you mentioned, Gary, that yep. they're missing out on. I know it's taxed, guaranteed, Guaranteed. 100% guaranteed. So, So when it comes to financial planning and taking this fatigue or stress off you, the very first point, very first starting point is what are your financial goals? I would actually suggest your very first starting point and you have to speak to a financial planner, you know, because they will go through this exercise with you. But again, the very first is, what are your goals? Well, it sounds easy, but as uh, Cheshire Cad and Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland says, if you don't know where you're going, any road can take you there. And it really doesn't matter because you don't have a goal. So just go any path and that path generally doesn't lead you to the right way. So it's extremely important to go through what are your financial goals. It's kind of interesting because now it's part of your mindset. And then you start making those micro decisions automatically. And it will lead you towards those goals. Second point is, okay, what's keeping you up at night? You know, um, do you have financial confidence? Um, what opportunities are you missing out on? So for an example, do you, would you like to travel? Spending more time with the family down the road? Or maybe more time with your community? Um, saving up for your first house or maybe paying off that house? Or should I get a cottage or not? And how is the best way to do these? These are the opportunities. And these are all part of your goal settings. And really this is what Gary and I spend a fairly you know, good time going over, what are we trying to accomplish financially with your resources? Because at least then we can start to say, okay, how do we tackle this the most efficient way? So then where you are now, sounds easy enough, but this is where we do the data and, and this is interactive. So when you create this data, it, we, it's, very, it's called Interactive Financial Planning. With us, it's called a, a LPP. Okay. And it's basically our projection tool that basically it changes every time we update the information. So if you print out a financial plan, literally by the time we leave the room, it's already out of date. Gas prices have changed inflation rates changed, what have you. So the nice thing is it's very nimble, this LPP, Living Plan Portal. And it can actually be right on your, right on your account linked with IG so that you can actually see your plan. And that will give you some direction and takes again some of that fatigue out of you because now you got this direction to go. And so, and it'll help answer some of those questions. We do a lot of what ifs and how long will my money last? Okay. Well, it depends how much you spend. And that, that is also part of the information gathering. We need to go through all the expenses to find out. Okay, what do you spend on travel? What do you spend on entertainment? What, what's your mortgage payment? Your car payment, et cetera, Your hydro bill, groceries. Going through all this data, it is different for everybody. To say there is a, this is the way it is for people, that is very general. And you, if that's the case, you're not getting a true financial plan. So when can I retire? Um, when should I take my government benefits? Can a pension plan, which I will be talking about a little later. How much can I spend without running out of money again? And what order should I cash in my assets at retirement? And am I saving enough right now? Okay. So all these, you know, it's kind of interesting. When you put this in the LPP, you will get the answers immediately. And the thing is planning never ends. It's just the start because just because, you need to have reviews on a regular basis because your life changes. That is just pure life. And this is why it's called the living plan portal because it is a living plan. It's, it changes when you change. And if there's a, all of a sudden an influx of money, great, right, or a hidden expense that comes in too, you know, all these different things. And again, this is cost of life. So extremely important and it's, it's phenomenal software to take your situation and see it on the screen. When you do this, it's almost a sense of relief. You must see this yourself, Gary, when you actually put all this data together and you say, and the clients now say, wow, that's me on paper. You know, absolutely. And to your point about the order
3: that they take money out of when they're retired in terms of, of where the funds come from, uh, I know you've experienced this too, Don. If, if people haven't been counseled on the benefits, the pros and cons of drawing money from different different types of investments, whether it's TFSAs, RIFs, non-registered investments, and so on, uh, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? If they don't have a game plan and they haven't had it, uh, it, it laid out for them in terms of what we're recommending they do in terms of where they draw their money, you know, monthly money versus one-off expenses that they
2: have and so on. So that, I think that's a great point. Yeah, thanks. And it is, this is just the normal conversations we have. So the biggest reason you need to sit down with a financial planner is really the cost of waiting, I mean, you know, the cost of procrastination. And regardless of your age, if you're 25 or 50 or or looking at retirement 10 years before retirement, sit down with a financial planner. As an example, let's say it was a younger person, they had 10,000 saved after in their first job, they got their car paid off. And let's say they can say, you know what? I could probably save 500 a month, 6,000 a year. And you know what? I'm pretty young right now. I'm saying I'm 25 as an example. I'm going to let this money grow. I'm going to do this for 40 years. Or I can delay it. And I would suggest most people say, I'm just going to put this off for 10 years. I got lots of things I want to do. I've, I, you know, My buddies are going to Europe. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Well, if you if you got a 6% rate of return, you would end up with $1.1 million by starting at age 25 and adding 500 a month. Not bad at all. Let's say you wait 10 years. How much is that cost of waiting? Okay. And that cost of waiting, it turns out that you will end up only accumulating $600,000. The actual cost is $558. And this is simply the cost of procrastination. So, you know, whether it's yourself, the listener, and saying, "You know what? I'm obviously a little older than that. Um, maybe you know I'm in my fifties, but my kids could use this. This is a type of stuff that you need to talk to your kids about, and make sure they're on the right track because it is it has absolutely will change their future financially. But what I do find, people that accumulate money think differently. They really do, and so they end up accumulating um, more assets because now they're thinking about it. And they're they're now saying, okay, my plan would have been this way because I was just aimless. I didn't have a goal. I didn't have savings. I didn't have I I didn't know the costs, but now I do. And they're armed with this information. So every time they make all those micro decisions about stopping at Starbucks, having an extra drink, um, whatever the case is, some entertainment, it just makes them think that extra second. And that extra second literally is the difference of being financially dependent, independent, and in, in, in getting their goals, or not, because we they've now have this this consciousness this money consciousness. And that's what this is all about. Teaching people why they need this so that they at least have this out of those thirty five thousand decisions they make every day. Now they can create, take the right path.
3: What gets measured gets done. Right? Absolutely, Garrett.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Taking a quick break here. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management 905-972-7420. We're talking about financial biases. It's amazing. We're biased, I guess, in everything, but finance, no different. (laughs)
3: Yeah, you know, we, and it's really important to talk about how we feel and the way we think and how that impacts our actions uh, specifically as it relates to to building wealth and and our overall financial situation so in terms of of cognitive biases that we were talking about you know we 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 touched on confirmation bias we we touched on anchoring biases i'd like to move on to to loss aversion bias and this is also a very interesting one and it's a very real phenomenon in which uh people feel that the they feel the pain of a temporary loss much more than they would feel the joy of a gain, and, and there's definitely a magnification factor at work here, uh, perhaps as much as, as five to one in, in terms of, of that, that pain that's felt with, with your funds going down and so on. And I might add, too, that it's interesting that when markets are up, it's the rate of return that is the focus. You know, And, and we, we hear this all the time from our clients. Okay, so I made X percent last year because things were up. When things are down, their eyes automatically go to the dollar value. Oh, I'm down this this amount of money. And it's interesting and that's a you know that's a that's definitely a, a, a cognitive thing in the way people uh, choose to to look at things. Um, and you know, the media understands this loss aversion concept very clearly. <laughs> um, which is why which is why down markets receive top headlines in different in different times over the years. while positive market news is relegated to page 10. <laughs> the page, yeah, because because it's just not it's not bad news, it's not newsworthy, right? Um, and you know for for investors, loss aversion can lead to very poor decisions um, you know that can make losses even even more likely. And, and more severe. And, you know, here's a, here's another example of a, of a a loss aversion type of, of cognitive bias. So someone might say, you know what, I know somebody who lost all their money in mutual funds or whatever the investment is. Now what we know is that that's somewhere between highly unlikely and impossible. (laughs) But what you know what was communicated to them by someone is that there was a period of time or a point in time where their investments went down, they took their money out, and never again will they will they even think about you know that that type of investment. You know that's a, that's a very clear example of that. Um, you know, in in early 2020, uh, as the threat of, of COVID really became apparent, The S&P TSX index dropped more than 37% from its February peak in 2020 and it bottomed out March 23rd of the same year. Very short period of time. And, And faced with that uncertainty, there were people who, you know, that loss aversion mindset kicked in. And this was not our experience with our clients because we spent a lot of time, Don, as you as you remember clearly, reaching out and having the conversations and 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 making sure that that people didn't do the wrong thing at the wrong time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But but in the, within the industry, the investment industry, um, certainly a lot of people uh, made that decision. So, um, basically, from from that low point. To, uh, you know, from from February 2020, uh, moving forward in a very short order, investments were up 18%, even though we went through that dip where, where things went down significantly. So people who made the decision that loss aversion bias kicked in and moved out of their investments, they locked in
2: significant losses in their And, and basically went down 34% in 33 days. And if you did nothing, if you just went to sleep and woke up in September, you're all back to even. right. right. And there's there's many other types of cognitive biases, and
3: I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. but there's the overconfidence bias. And you know we, we see that a lot and and really,, um, you know, an example of that is is having a very opinionated uh, perspective on things while at the same time lacking the knowledge and information and resources that are needed. To make you know to make concrete and, and productive decisions, a lot of people who do day trading, online mm-hmm. investing, and so on, uh, are are far more overconfident until they're not.
2: Yeah, until and, they don't have and, no
3: money. Gambling's the same way right now too. Gambling's yeah, yeah, gambling's the same way. And and you know, and then of course there's there's hindsight or regret aversion where we we look back at things uh, with the with the belief that we really did know what was going to happen when we didn't. And it was kind of the I, I knew it all along bias, if you will, herd mentality. <laughs> you know, following. Uh, uh, I got a a person at work gave me a hot tip. You know, said they're making all kinds of money and so on. I like the I like the framing effect bias too, because and that really uh, the example that you gave earlier, Don, about gambling. That's mm-hmm. a that's a really good example because it it depends on how things are presented. So let's look at two quick things. So during COVID. If, if it was reported to us that uh, 90% of people got their vaccine and that's what was reported, that would influence people's decision. If it was reported instead that 10% didn't get their, their shot. That would also impact things. But the gambling thing, and I and I really just it just occurred to me as you were speaking, Don earlier, there's commercials on, we're inundated with with gambling, pro gambling commercials, but yeah. we're also now seeing anti gambling mm-hmm. commercials pop up. So it depends which one you choose to pay more attention to.
2: Right? Yes. Absolutely. You know? And this is this is the power of advertising. And yeah. So, yeah. W- and certain people gravitate to certain types too, right? And, no. and it's interesting. The gamblers or the verge of gambling type people will say, "Wow, that's awesome. Kind of sexy. It's fun. Look how much fun they're having." I don't want to miss out on that. And the other side is saying, "I wouldn't want to lose my money." So. Yeah. And there's, and lastly, there's blind spot bias, which basically
3: just means that you look at other people and you assume that they have a greater bias or they have a bias and you don't. And, and, you know, you're basing all your decisions on, on factual information. So how do we overcome these, these biases very quickly and very simply, you know, there, there's various ways we can, we can, we can protect ourselves. We can protect our clients and so on. And, and number one, just be aware that they exist, just be aware of what they are and they exist. And, um, and and ask the right questions. But to Don's point earlier too, make sure you work with a certified financial planner. We are
1: planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420.
0: Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 Zero. Boy, I think this is going to get everybody's attention. Um, why you won't get your maximum uh, CPP? What is this
2: all about? Well, absolutely. This is, It kind of grabbed me by attention and my attention also. Do you know there's a $495.36 gap right now between what the maximum is, which currently is $1,306.57, and what the average person in Canada is actually getting? which is $811.21. And it's kind of shocking that you would lose this much. That's a fairly high percentage. And and so, you know, you're only getting 62% of the maximum. Or, as Gary said, you can frame it the other way, you're not getting 38% is missing, in another way of putting it. Why am I missing 38% of my paycheck? That kind of grabs your attention. Well, there's lots of reasons. How it works is they take a... A look at the 47 years from the time you're 18 to 65, and you must contribute 39 years up the maximum, 39 years out of those 47. You're basically allowed to miss eight years. And if you, as long as you do contribute the maximum of 39 out of those 47 years, you will get the maximum. Well, that's kind of hard. That's 83% of the time from the time you hit 18 to 65, you contribute the maximum. And And this is uh, tough because you know what? Basically, right off the get-go, you may go to school a little longer than past 18. In fact, post-secondary really just starts at 18. And so if you're in a four-year program, you've missed the first four years. And who's to say you're going to get the maximum? So what I mean to that is this year's maximum is $66,600, is how much you have to earn to, to add your maximum to the Canada Pension Plan. Both you and the employer, if you are an employee, that is. If you're self-employed, you got to contribute both halves of that. So at the end of the day, this year, if you made, say, 50000 well, you're not the maximum. And you will not, you're contributing, of course, but you will not have the maximum for this year. Of course, if you make over 66600 you will contribute the maximum. But there's a lot, sometimes there's a number of years when you get out of university or college where you haven't contributed the maximum. So there's that also. And then there's... You know, what about taking time off um, for kids? And say, okay, well, I didn't contribute the maximum that year. What if you cut dividend income? That's interesting. So you're self-employed, your accountant says, you know what? You can save tax by getting dividend income. Well, when you get receive dividend income, it's not considered earned income, and you're not contributing to the Canada Pension Plan. Again, this is happening quite frequently, and I know when I'm just sitting down with clients, I bring this up every time. Um, Another option, there's always this you know, people are lured to this cash jobs kind of industry where I'm going to get some cash under the table. Oh, great. You know, you don't pay the tax, but you're not contributing to the Canada Pension Plan. And so that's, again, uh, a negative there. So ways to increase your Canada Pension Plan, first and foremost, work past 65. And that way, it'll kind of knock out the years you didn't, where you were ramping up your income after you graduated, now, you're probably making good bucks now, and therefore, you can you can add to it and, and get closer to your, um, your maximum. Also, if you start adding more past the age of uh, 65, you're adding 0.7% more anyway. And if you wait till 70, you get 42% more. So, the biggest reason I do find is people just get bad advice. And it almost seems to be a club. I took my, my can of pension plan at 60. And it's cool. They want to find other people they can tell this to. Well, right at the get go, if you say I'm taking my can of pension at 60, which is the earliest you can, you've just knocked five years off. You're only allowed to miss eight. So guaranteed, not only are you taking a risk of losing some of your maximum by doing that, you're also going to take a 36% pay cut because you're now taking it early. So it's a bit of a double whammy. You're losing your maximum because let's say you continue, you say you even go back to work, okay? Um, you, at a, a lower paying job or part-time, You well, you won't be at your maximum again. So lots of side effects, if you will, of, of, of making these decisions. It goes back to that earlier segment of of financial planning fatigue. It's another big decision. And really, I we have some really good software that will work out what is the... You know, what does it cost you by taking it early? And, you know, if I can just do it quickly. Scott, I heard you just turned to, had a big birthday not long ago. Oh, that's a lie. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going
1: backwards. Nope.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just assume you're 61. and Oh.
1: <laughs> I'll have to really it, close my eyes and think about
2: that. <laughs> and you wanted to start your CPP at 61 if versus waiting till, oh, even... 70 would be the 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 opposite and let's assume there was it's three percent inflation okay well if you did this what when is the break even on this well the break even is if you wait till 77 is the break even basically so if you live past 77 um you're better off delaying this till till 70. and well what's what kind of cost would this cost me well if i live to 90 how much would that affect me by Well, $226,000 by taking it at age 61 versus taking it at 70 if you live to the age of 90. This is a ton of money, folks. Okay, make sure you make a good decision on this. And this is why you need to sit down and go through your particular situation, find out what your CPP maximum is, go through this data, and we will show you what the best age you
1: can start your CPP. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another great show, gentlemen. Thanks
0: so much for the time, and we'll do it again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900CHML.